the distinction that is really important is that like when you're doing a piece of art, if we can make a distinction between art and design is when you're doing a piece of art, you're really expressing yourself. It's whatever it is. And someone else's criticism maybe doesn't really matter. Maybe you have an art teacher who's trying to develop your technique or whatever, but it's very different when you are getting hired as a designer, you're being hired to solve a problem. You're not being hired to express your you know, innermost creativity. It's great when those two things can intersect, but more often than not, they may not. And so you really have to stay focused on what's the problem that you're trying to solve, who's the audience, what are their needs, what are their goals. Welcome to the Artism Podcast, where we explore creativity, inspiration, and the determination it takes to be an artisan. This podcast is for artisans, by artisans. I'm your host, Kathy Duraghi, and I'm thrilled to introduce you to our next guest. I'd love to invite and introduce Susan Oslin to this episode of the Artisan Podcast. Where are you? It's beautiful where you're sitting. I am at the AR House here in Los Angeles, and it's a working co-living space run by Aiden Wolf and Lucas Risotto. And every month they bring in 10 new artists where we live and collaborate together for four weeks. It's in a beautiful house in the hills of Hollywood. We have a pool and a sauna and, you know, we invite people in from the public to be a part of the community. And it's just a really amazing place for artists and creators to be inspired and build relationships and build cool stuff. What a beautiful idea for collaboration. Now, all AR projects... Not necessarily, but it's pretty much AR, VR, as far as I know. Some artists come in and maybe, you know, they're not necessarily developers. They're, you know, designers or illustrators, but they're pretty passionate about the AR, VR space. And they'll work usually with like one of the devs to build build stuff. Let's step, uh, take a step backwards, just in case there are some people in the audience who may not be familiar with ARVR. Can you just give us a quick little rundown of augmented reality, virtual reality, and then we'll start how you got started in this. There sometimes is a lot of confusion about that. And virtual reality is when you're completely immersed within a digital or virtual world. And that's usually through a headset. And there's no relationship to the outside world at all. You're completely in a created and fabricated world. So augmented reality is when you are in the real world and your real world is being augmented by digital or virtual objects. So it's a layer over top of the real world. And usually that's, it could be done with your phone or augmented reality glasses. And there's, I think, There used to be a distinction of mixed reality, and I think mixed reality and augmented reality are kind of coming together into one thing, and and people talk less about mixed reality, I think, and pretty much put it all together with augmented reality. And how does that play into 
where your career kind of has started from, which is in the UX space. How, like, what was the trajectory for you and the transition for you from traditional UX into what you're doing now? Well, my career actually didn't start in UX. So when you and I met, my UX career was starting, but I actually uh, have a background in visual effects and animation, and I worked in the film industry for a number of years. And so the 3D world is not a stranger to me. And I had been doing UX for about 12 years, and I don't think I wrote a single line of code in, in that whole time. And my background is very much in technical art. To be honest, getting a little bit bored with user experience design. I wasn't challenged in that way that technology really challenges you. And so I was in a space where I was looking for my next evolution of my career. And that's when I started to see, this was around 2018, and I started to see a lot of you know posts on LinkedIn and, and whatnot about augmented reality and, and virtual reality. It's more virtual reality at that time. You know, it just to me it seemed like a no-brainer to kind of go back to my roots, but also bring with me my user experience design and you know hope to make an impact in terms of a, a new technology and bring in those concepts of user experience design. So often when a new technology is being created, a lot of the applications and experiences are created by the developers. And, and, you know, it makes sense because they're the ones figuring out the technology. So those are the ones that get built first. And so I really wanted to have a presence of user experience in this burgeoning industry. Yeah. And to just to have that both technology background and the design background in that space and the visual effects background in that space, imagine the three of them together really play off of each other to help create the alternative universes that that we're working on. How does metaverse play into this? So there's a lot of debate in the industry about what exactly the metaverse means. And I kind of just try to stay away from it. I think many of us do. So I can tell you what the metaverse means to me. I Most of my work now is really in the augmented reality space and specifically in city scale augmented reality, because my vision for the future is where the digital and the physical worlds really come together and are one and that we can have digital content in context. Um, So that's why I'm really interested in physically located, location-based augmented reality, because it's like being in context, I think is where it's really going to make a lot of meaning and have impact. But I also believe, and I've believed for a long time, that virtual reality and augmented reality will really come together as just being one spectrum of the other of the same thing. So I can imagine being in a space and putting on a pair of glasses and you know completely removing the light and going into a virtual reality space in terms of co-presence you know, and having virtual people in your space, right? Sit down next to you, a virtual being, sit down next to you. So there's, you know, that kind of mix of a virtual and augmented reality. So that's my idea of the metaverse is really the bringing together, combining a virtual and physical worlds, but also having those spaces that are, that are purely virtual and having it all 
connect and be interoperable and not be separate spaces, you know, similar to the web is now you can go anywhere on the web. And that's how I see the metaverse. It's really just a evolution of the web in 3D, in real space, 3D, like in our world, not 3D on the screen. You know where my mind went as you were you were just explaining that. This is going to sound a little strange, but this is the space that I've been lately because of the book that I wrote, The Butterfly Years, which is my journey through grief. But as you were speaking, as you were talking about being there, so like the memory that came out for me was, could I have a conversation with my loved ones? That have passed? Yeah, like them physically there. So in a way, yes. So... My father passed away shortly after I got into this industry, and it was always very sad for me because the technology is is there now where we can, you know, do a volume capture, a 3D capture of a person and pretty much create a hologram like you see in Star Wars in real life. And how I wish I had had an opportunity to capture my father before his passing so, you know, in very rudimentary ways, that is possible. And they've even, talking about this yesterday, they've even brought back to life people that have passed on and recreating their figure in 3D just through photographs. Photographs and, you know, I'm sure quite a bit of uh, 3D modeling cleanup. But yeah, it's pretty exciting, some of the technology that's being developed and you know, in terms of presence, I think really the thing that people are after right now is creating that co-presence with people that are actually like here. You know, you have someone in Bulgaria and you're in the United States and bringing that likeness through holography into your actual space where you can sit across from each other and have a conversation and you're digital in their world and they're digital in your world, but you you physically have that connection. Yeah, I've been fortunate to be at a conference where the speaker had, you know, from my very elementary vocabulary, had been beamed in <laughs> to that space. And the facilitator and the guest were just having this conversation. And the facilitator was there in person, but the guest was it's been was a hologram. And it was fascinating to be in that space. And this is several years ago. So I'm sure the technology has just exponentially grown from there. But even there, it was just like so fascinating to be able to hear someone. And it was just different than to watch a YouTube video of them. I mean, they were there, but they weren't, but they were. So it was just really fascinating for them to be there and be able to answer questions live, if you will. So because you you get their whole presence, right? You get their whole, you know, all their mannerisms. And so when you describe what you do to people, how do you go about to the layman audience when you tell them what it is you do? How do you how do you tell them? Do you say I'm a more of a creative? Do you say I'm a more of a technologist? What do you say? I use the term creative technologist now. When I first moved into got interested in, in virtual reality and augmented reality, my goal was to work as a consultant, as a UX expert, but I really got interested in in making things and becoming a creator. And so I see myself more as an experienced creator, an experienced director, you know, using the technology to create 
experiences like out in the in the real world. So I don't know how I describe myself. I, you know, for the longest time when I was a UX designer, people would ask me what I did, you know, like my family or someone that really doesn't have a lot of understanding of the technology industry. I would just say I was a web designer, you know, and like it was close enough, but I can't really say that anymore. So sometimes I just say I'm a designer, but if I'm talking to someone who understands the you know, the technology, I say I'm an XR creator, creative technologist. Yeah, I would imagine. I mean, some people don't even understand what it is that I do, even though it's just such an, to me, such an easy thing, but like the, anyway, so where, where does inspiration come from for you? Is it in the real world? Is it in the digital world? How do you get inspired? I would say it's the internal world, just taking time to be quiet and allow inspiration to come to me. I guess I would say it's like divinely inspired. That's where the predominant inspiration comes from. Is there a practice for you? Do you meditate on it? How how, how do you do that? Well, I don't meditate on it, but I do have a regular daily meditation practice. I do yoga. And so I definitely take quiet time for myself. And I believe that myself and and everyone, you know, I have been brought here with a unique talent and gift and that to become quiet, I think we're pushed in that direction and we're, we're driven to whatever that is, but it requires getting quiet to really listen, to know what that is. And so that's really my inspiration outside of that, that's my primary inspiration. And outside of that is, I think I've always been very involved in communities, you know, and I was in all the way back when I was in marketing, I've always been a part of the community. And I think that's really important to know what other people are doing and know what people who are, what are doing locally. So I'm very involved in the AWE, the Augmented World Expo which has been around for, I think, 12 years now. So it was, I think, the first and continues to be the biggest expo for this technology. And I, myself and my partner, Ray Mosco, have been co-producing AWE Nights LA, our fourth year now. So the local chapter for AWE. I worked for many years at the LA User, LA User Experience meet up many years doing programs and um, participating. I you know, did a mentorship program for about four years in downtown Los Angeles, where once a month uh, designers would come in and just show their work. And they had an opportunity to get feedback from whoever was there. And that was really rewarding. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's always been something that I've really admired about you is this drive to give back to the community. And I I do remember you very, very active in the user experience meetup space, always posting, always welcoming me, inviting me to the events that you were having. And just even given what you're doing now and where you are now at the AR house, just really speaks volumes about the impact of community and the impact of collaboration and how powerful that can be. It also just takes me to mentorship. And whether we mentor or are mentored, uh, how important that opportunity is to be able to give constructive feedback, to be able to help someone along in their path. So I, hats off to you. Ever since I've known you, you've been doing that. So 
Yeah, I'm sure the creative community thanks you. I'm sure you've influenced a lot of people. (laughs) Thank you. That's very kind of you. But speaking of mentoring and giving feedback, you know, it's, it's hard to sometimes give constructive feedback and receive constructive feedback. Is there anything that you can share with people who, you know, maybe are earlier on in their careers and listening to this and getting excited about trying something new? Anything you can share about your lessons learned as you've grown in your path and the type of feedback that you've received or you've given? Some organizations do have a culture where open communication and feedback is welcomed, but I think many more don't have that. And I don't think it's very much a part of our culture in the United States. I can't say about other cultures. I think we would all be better off if it was more a part of our culture. I think that, you know, when someone offers you feedback, it's really a gift, you know, because hopefully I think most of the time it's intended to help you and help you to grow and help you to get better, help you to evolve. I think it's really great when people are willing to give me honest feedback because then I can get better. When people are reluctant to give honest feedback, then you can't grow. (laughs) It's difficult to receive it sometimes though. I think especially with art and creative, sometimes so much of it's maybe difficult to separate the person and the piece. And I've heard this from, you know, we obviously, we give feedback on resumes, we give feedback on portfolios. And sometimes the way it's received, somebody's identity is so tied into that, that versus we're trying to give feedback as to like, this is beautiful. It's just not what this particular client is looking for because of X, Y, and Z. And I can see how difficult sometimes that is for somebody to hear, especially early in their path when maybe they're second guessing themselves. I kind of feel like the distinction that is really important is that like when you're doing a piece of art, if we can make a distinction between art and design is when you're doing a piece of art, you're really expressing yourself. It's whatever it is. And someone else's criticism maybe doesn't really matter. Maybe you have an art teacher who's trying to develop your technique or whatever, but it's very different when you are getting hired as a designer, you're being hired to solve a problem. You're not being hired to express your you know, innermost creativity. It's great when those two things can intersect, but more often than not, they may not. And so you really have to stay focused on what's the problem that you're trying to solve, who's the audience, what are their needs, what are their goals, and you know whether that's the client or the end consumer, it's really important that you stay focused on who your audience is and what are the needs of their of, of them. And I think then maybe that helps a little bit. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about your vision. It's really about solving the problem. Yeah, be able to extract yourself from the from the middle of it. Great insight. Thank you for that. And for you personally, how do you just evolve? How do you continually learn and grow? You know, what keeps you curious all the time? I don't know that anything keeps me curious. I just am curious. And that's why, you know, my career is always kind of evolving into something new. 
because I like that constant learning and building and, and growing. It's it's part of you know what I love about my career. And so I think people in technology, that's that's the one thing I think people in technology have is that passion to learn more and, and be curious. I remember when I was doing the mentorship downtown in Los Angeles, and a lot of people would come wanting to switch into UX design from graphic design. We had psychology majors from school wanting to know how to get into UX design or, you know, people from all different things. And I think that what I've always done is, you know, when I become curious about something, I start to explore it. And some people might have a plan, you know, where they're going to do this and that amount of time. But I just kind of start exploring and go to the community and get involved with the community and doors start to open and I find my way. Like when I, like I was saying before, when I started in XR and XR is a term that combines VR and AR for listeners that may not know. So when I started my journey in XR, like I said, I was going to, I planned to be a consultant as a UX designer and ended up getting interested really in creating. You talked about community uh, again, and I'd love to kind of just hear from you as you're looking to hire people or you're looking for other collaborators, what is it that you look for? What's important to you? Is it skills? Is it fit? Is it vision? What specifically draws you? It's definitely skills. It's important to have the skills to be able to get the job done. But aside from that, what's really important to me is how they are as a communicator. Are they able to have conversations openly about their work and receive feedback? You know, are they good about letting me know what their schedule is or schedule, you know, shifts and and so I can count on the delivery? So I would say second to skill is is really communication is so important in the success, I think, of, of any career. Yeah, at every stage from the interview stage all the way through. Yeah. Even how you present yourself online is a form of, of communication. 100%. And I think a lot of people forget, and they certainly forget that uh, with social media, a lot of hiring managers do have an opportunity to evaluate and get a peek into communication styles and or skills and so forth. I mean, just our portfolios, our LinkedIn profiles, all of that is an extension of who we are right now. What is it that you now know as a creative technologist or as just, you know, as someone who's been in this field for many years and has seen your career morph and evolve to where it is today, what is it that you wished you had known when you first started in your path? My lessons learned are don't take things personally, even though I think many creatives tend to take things personally. Never assume you know why something, a choice was made in your favor or to your disfavor. There's always a hundred things going on that don't have anything to do with you. And so I've learned over the years not to personalize things because that can be very constricting and I think damaging to self-confidence. And so I think that's something I've definitely learned along the way and something that I see other people, especially younger people struggle with. That's the big one. 
I think the other thing is that there's not a finite number of opportunities, that there's really an infinite number of opportunities. And to believe in the possibilities of your dreams coming true and to follow those dreams wherever they take you. And there's always going to be an opportunity at the right place and the right time. Well, you can see I have dwell in possibilities on my wall. So I'm, I'm a, a big fan of just seeing what else is out there. And if there isn't really this opportunity that I think you know, we've always had, but it's probably been amplified even more now because of COVID, this opportunity to just create the possibilities, right? to venture out, to do what it is that one wants to do if, if a traditional nine-to-five job isn't it. The opportunity that, especially in the freelance space, that you know the space we're in, I think we, you know, we've always known this, that this exists, but this this uh, opportunity for entrepreneurship and kind of creating our possibilities is is a beautiful thing. Yeah, now is a good time for that. You know, so COVID had some positive impacts, and I think our work life was definitely one of them for at least for technologists and and creatives that the ability to work from home and opening up so much more opportunities for freelance has been really, really great. When COVID hit, it wasn't all that different for me because at the time I was working from home, but you know, (laughs) that's not entirely true because I think the intensity of the, you know, being forced to be at home and the lack of human contact. And then, you know, having my kids home every day from school it was challenging. You know, we live in a small house, so it was, it was really challenging. And I've always been very much of an introvert and not really good at when I go to events, I tend to go late and leave early. So I don't have to do a lot of the networking, even though that's the reason I go. So it's a little bit challenging for me to really put myself out there on a one-on-one basis when networking. And so after COVID, you know, the first party that I went to, I was just like walking up to people and saying hi and introducing myself. And it was completely natural because it was like so such a hunger for human connection. So for me, that was a really positive impact because um, I have a much easier time networking. In fact, that's how I met the people here that run the AR house. And that's how I got here. It was the first party I had been to since COVID few months back. And I had recognized Lucas Risotto because I see a lot of his work online. And so I just walked up to him and said, you know, oh, I I love your work. I follow your work. And we got to talking and um, he introduced me to his uh, business partner, Aiden. And I was talking about my project downtown in Pershing Square, which is a location-based augmented reality project. And coincidentally, that month, they were being sponsored by Niantic. And they were Niantic's in the process of putting out their location-based technology, visual positioning system. And so he said, hey, you should come by and hang out on Niantic's here and get to know the cohort. And um, I did. And then the next month, I applied to come and live here. I love that. I loved how that kind of came back full circle for you back into being with community. Are you able to talk a little bit about your Persian Square project? Yeah. So early on, I got involved with the Open Air Cloud, which is a nonprofit organization that promotes open and interoperable 
standards for the metaverse, the AR cloud, whatever we want to call it. And so I've been working with them for some time. And and when their technology got to the point where it was mature enough to build something with, I decided I wanted to make something, a location-based something. And for whatever reason, I picked Pershing Square. And I brought on a design partner, Laura Garcia, to collaborate with. And she did some research and I wanted to do something that was impactful, socially impactful, meaningful. So we threw around a couple, you know, a bunch of different ideas and we ended up deciding on water conservation because Pershing Square has a history around the fountain and the design right now. The fountain is now dry, but the design is intended to represent the water that's diverted from other places to Los Angeles. And so it already had this history around water and so decided to do a project around water conservation. And it's coming along very slowly. We, I had a small development team come together for the AR Cloud, the AWE AR Cloud Challenge back in November. We won the challenge and continued to develop the design And I'm now in the stage where I am applying for funding. I've applied for three grants now, my first time doing grant applications. So hopefully one of them says yes. But, you know, the the goal of the project was to do something that was impactful and also that I believed could get funded. So a lot of thought has gone into this exhibit that will be throughout Pershing Square that educates people about the water ecosystem in LA, the fact that we get our water from all these, you know, different places. And, you know, I think the seriousness of the drought, I think we're going to feel it this summer. I know June 1st, there's legislation happening where we're going to start getting restricted on our water usage. And, you know, there's discussion on if we stopped watering outside and all the trees died what a huge environmental disaster that would be and how difficult it would be to recreate that. So it's, we're not in a very good place around water. And so the exhibit is intended to raise that awareness, but also engage people interactions, right? We have the opportunity to interact with content that's more engaging and more immersive and hopefully drive behavior change. And, you know, we've put a lot of thought into how we would measure that and create partnerships with local businesses, municipalities uh, to help us measure and kind of bring, bring the whole community together around the issue. I got goosebumps. Beautiful. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Well, congratulate me when I get the money to actually build it. (laughs) First step is having the the idea and the concept and really putting it to a true social impact, environmental impact cause. So you're there. And I do remember in Pershing Square, I think there's actually even like a sculpture that represents the aqueduct if I'm not mistaken, right? It's like a big purple wall. 
Yeah. And that's where the water used to come down the purple wall into the fountain. And it doesn't do that anymore. The symbolism doesn't uh, doesn't escape me that even that's dry. We're going to put water back there. We're going to create an oasis. The people will create an oasis by engaging in these water saving activities. That's what will have the plants grow. And so the more people that contribute, the more beautiful the oasis is. And is there a way for the public to help support? Is there a GoFundMe or is there, if a listener here hears it and says, oh, I'm interested, is there a way for them to do that? That is not set up yet, but I do have a website. It's still a bit of a work in progress, but my contact information at least is there and it's Concrete Oasis, spelled as you would expect, concreteoasis.city. We'll put that in the show notes. And where else besides Concrete Oasis can people find you? Are you available for projects? Are you available for new opportunities? How can people find you and reach out to you? The best way to find me is on LinkedIn. That's where I'm the most active. So it's you know Susan Oslin, S-U-Z-A-N. O-S-L-I-N. Just uh, look me up on LinkedIn. Susan, thank you so much for being here and really educating us on this amazing, amazing new space that you're forging into and taking us along with it. Can't wait to, I was going to say, I'm going to be in Pershing Square on Saturday. Not yet, but I will be there as soon as you let me know that it's launched and that I could go visit and experience it. It might be a little while, but I can give you a sneak peek sometime too, possibly. Oh, I would love that. Whenever you're ready, I'll be all for that. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And any parting words that you want to share before we say goodbye? Yeah, I just want to say thank you very much for inviting me. I've always been a big fan of you and your company. I have a lot of respect for the way you do business. And so I'm really honored that you reached out to have me on your show. Thank you. And third time was the charm. So glad to have you here. Okay, Caddy. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Artisan Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Artisan Creative, a staffing and recruitment firm specializing in creative, marketing, and digital talent. You can find us online at artisancreative.com or via social channels at Artisan Creative. We look forward to connecting.